All right, good evening. It's always a surprise what you're going to teach on because, uh, you know, uh, the title Biblical Counseling can be really applied to any book in the Bible and any chapter. Uh, we applied it tonight to Proverbs 27. Uh, so we'll be going through that this evening. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn that way. Uh, to, uh, I'm always excited to see you guys on a Wednesday night. Uh, it's basically like the family getting together. I love, you'll hear anyone who is up here teaching tell you that they really enjoy Wednesday nights because this is where we get to let down, where we get to relax, where we get to pour, be poured into by the Lord. And it truly is a blessing to be here and see you guys. You guys are the brave souls who like didn't go out of town this week. So I'm impressed you showed up. So thank you for that. Definitely the Lord will bless you for it. Uh, so uh, what we're going to do this morning is, uh, it's already started. What we're going to do this evening, like, and I'm all right because I'm not the first person that's done that. We've all done that. So this evening, we're going to read through all of Proverbs 27. Uh, I'll pray over it, and then we'll, we'll dig in. So with that, if, uh, if you haven't already, Proverbs 27, I'll read. Why don't you guys follow along with me, starting in verse 1. Proverbs 27, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Wrath is cruel, and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he is surety for a seductress. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. I may have done that a time or two in my house, too. That's not good for me. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit, so he who waits on his master will be honored. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is valued by what others say of him. Though you grind a fool in, in a mortar, with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. Be, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word this evening, and we ask right now that you would remove ourselves from this equation. Father, take us uh, and all the cares and worries on our mind and our shoulders, Father, and remove it. Father, we desire to hear from you, and we need your Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we pray that this word would minister to us and that your Holy Spirit would have something different for each one of us. So we pray this evening that you would just illuminate your word to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the, the good news is, you, you know, you look at Proverbs 27 and there's uh, 27 verses. We're not going to go through them all. And uh, frankly, you came tonight not knowing what verses I'm going to teach. And about a week and a half ago, I didn't know what I was going to teach on either. 
Uh, so I had 27 things to pick from, and the Lord really kind of showed that about a week and a half ago. It's funny, you can try and prepare two months away, but when the Lord wants to give you what he has for you, you'll get it in his timing. So uh, there are several verses in Proverbs 27 that talk about um, counsel, uh, and that's really what we're going to be talking about this evening. You know, I've, I've had a lot of counsel, had a lot of advice in my, uh, in my time, and, and some were great. I've, really, I've received a lot of counsel where some were like, eh, okay. And I've received a lot where the person giving you this fantastic counsel you look at, and, and, and you literally just, did you really just give me that as counsel? And you, you have to really realize that it's just not good. And, and I've gotten stuff all points in between, right? So I'm sure that's most of us. We can recall uh, getting good counsel, uh, and perhaps it, it changed an entire situation. Maybe it turned our life around. Maybe it was just something for, for that specific time frame. Uh, but we can also remember counsel that we've been given that we thought years later, like, why did I even listen to that? It, 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 I thought it sounded good, and it really turned out to be not good. Um, and so we've all been in that. We've all worn those shoes. And, and you know, you learn as you get older whom to trust, right? And, and for, for a lot of us, whether a parent or parents or whomever raised us, you know, for me, my parents, I realized I was the smartest thing since sliced bread coming out of college. And then I realized my parents actually knew what they were talking about. And my, 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 my 20 years did not equal my dad's like 60 years, right? And so you realize that people giving you counsel, while you may not like it or it sounds ridiculous, can sometimes be spot on. You learn to listen which friends to listen to and which friends to hear but not hear, right? Uh, and you, you realize quickly which ones not to apply their counsel whatsoever. Well, unfortunately, as we do this in our life, um, we kind of learn about these things the hard way, right? You learn from someone who gives you counsel the hard way that the counsel they gave you was really bad. And whatever it did to you, you realize the next time this person gives me counsel, I'm really not going to listen to it. Um, we, we learn that the hard way. I've done that all my life. Um, it, because I can distinctly remember times in high school and college where friends were like, you don't need to worry about You don't need to do anything. Just a scratch. Don't worry about it. Just move on. Not, not, not good idea. Um, and not good advice. Well, that really tends to shape us and mold us as we get older. And, and frankly, what it, it, it tends to do to us is it gives us a, a, a critical nature and we become very judgmental of the advice or the counsel that we're being given. Um, it can be because it's not coming from a trusted friend or it could be because it's coming from someone that isn't agreeing with how our opinion is or how we think something should be or what the right answer is. And so what that tends to do is we end up putting up a defensive wall. And we put up a defensive wall, and we just, in our, in our mind, we're like, you know what, I'm not going to receive from that person at all because they're saying something I don't like. It's not necessarily coming because we're mean, uh, but it's a, a learned behavior, right? And we're all familiar with that, learned behavior or muscle memory, how we respond to something. Well, Unfortunately, a byproduct of that um, and, and dealing with people is that we can tend to do the same thing when we're getting advice and we're getting counseled by the Lord himself, whether through his word, through his people, or by his spirit. Um, and we go right back to that putting up a, a defensive wall. And that's a problem. Um, Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. The entire counsel of God is counsel for us, right? He has his word specifically for us to learn from, to glean from, and to change how we think, how we act, and what we do. You know, counsel in Hebrew, and, and, and I tried pronouncing the Hebrew word for counsel, and I'm, I'm going to spare you because I couldn't do it. But it's got several very important spiritual and theological connections because it can be translated as, as counsel, purpose, or plan. And, and, and frankly, in the Old Testament, God's counsel is contrasted with the advice of men. 
Um, so the Hebrew word for counsel in the Old Testament is really contrasting God's counsel for each of us and the advice of men. And, 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 and what do I mean by that? Well, we've got a lot of examples, and I'll, I'll just throw three down here, of man's advice versus what we know to be God's counsel. In Job 2.9, Job gets horrible advice from his wife to curse God. That is horrible advice. If you ever hear that, don't do it. Um, Haman gives wicked advice that almost crushes the entire Jewish population in the book of Ruth. And in 1 Kings 21, Jezebel gives counsel to her husband, King Ahab, on how to kill a man to get a vineyard legally. Horrible advice. Three examples, plenty more to choose from, but we see the wickedness of man's heart and the advice man in general, woman or man, can give always usually have an ulterior motive and it's never for your good or your growth. On the other hand, with the Lord, totally different. But you get the point. We even have examples in the New Testament. We always use it and it's something that's been brought up before, but you get the wonderful um, man's advice in Matthew 16, 22, where Peter gives counsel to the Lord himself, like, no, 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 you shouldn't have that suffering happen to you at all. Nope. And what does the Lord do? The Lord rebukes him because that was man's advice, and he didn't know the plan of the Father and what God really wanted to have take place. And, and, and so there, there's a difference here, as I said, in, in worldly knowledge and wisdom. There's a big difference. Um, and, and so knowledge does not equal wisdom. Uh, we all know people with multiple doctorates, multiple degrees, certifications in the IT realm, but all of that doesn't necessarily mean they're wise. Yet we all know people that are wise that may not have many certifications or, or degrees or anything by the world's standard to rank them, right? But they're still wise. So there is a very big difference, and we have to be able to properly discern between the two. And there's really no true wisdom without the Holy Spirit. Many of the Old Testament prophets use the word counsel to recall God's eternal plan for them, for us, and through God's counsel, we have to be open to God's instruction. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. You know, I, I'm bringing up the word counsel, and there's a reason, because it's directly linked to the gospel in Isaiah 9-6, where our Messiah is called the Wonderful Counselor. Sadly, for many of us, good counsel is something we don't see all the time. We wish we could, but... It's not something we see every day. Our broken world is filled with brokenness and broken promises, broken thoughts, and broken advice. Sometimes, even when the counsel should be trusted, we might be afraid to take it because we've gotten burned before. Uh, Proverbs 27, um, as, as all have seen as we've gone through the, the book of Proverbs, has several different areas that would fall within counseling that we're going to be talking about tonight. Counseling to remember, counseling against, counseling for, and then counseling and diligence. And, and we'll go through them slide by slide. And I have a team that put me together to turn this on and remember to make sure this was on. Boom. Awesome. All right. First one, counseling to remember. The thing is, as we go into this section, God wants us always to remember certain fundamentals. Fundamentals we should have on the forefront of our mind and never forget. And he uses Solomon here in uh, a way to give us an encouraging reminder uh, to settle us and remind us of this, uh, of this basic. So in this section, Solomon's really reminding us, uh, and the Lord through him is reminding us to not become complacent. I should have used bigger font. My apologies. <laughs> Looks great on a small tablet. Verse 7, I'm going to read it for you, it's a bonus. Verse 7, a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And, and, and when we read this initially, we understand what a honeycomb is. We get it, and we think this has everything to do with eating, but it doesn't. 
When we are satisfied, either emotionally or physically, we find it very easy to disregard things that we should be desiring on a continual basis. I mean, how many times that when we uh, apply this principle to anything we do, if we go to the beach every summer or every week, it tends to lose its luster. We're no longer happy with it, right? If we're a family that goes out to eat, Every day or every other day, going out to eat is no longer a treat. It's no longer anything big. It loses its luster. But when you apply this in a biblical sense, and where it's more important, is when things are going right in our eyes and according to our plan, how many of us are prone to not spend the time we need to spend with the Lord? How many of us are, are prone to everything's going fine, therefore I'll, I'll just not sit at the Lord's feet today or this week or not talk with my family about the Lord because things are fine. We get slack on praying about choices. And I'm at fault here, so this is like we're all one big happy family. Um, oh, golly, that's horrible. My apologies if you're online. Maybe you see it better. F.B. Meyer said, spiritually, this can be understood in a positive sense. The best way of combating worldliness is by satisfying the heart with something better. The full soul loatheth even the honeycomb, speaking of something from the world, and, uh, and that would be desirable. When the prodigal gets the fatted calf, he has no further hankering after the husks which the swine eat. Fill your heart with God and his sacred truth, and the things of the world will lose their charm. Psalm 78, verses 9 through 16, actually talk to us about the men of Ephraim. Now, the men of Ephraim is actually a term that referred to the northern tribes of Israel, right? And in that set of scripture, you see that they fell into idolatry. And in verse 7, it tells you exactly why they fell into idolatry. It says they forgot what he had done the wonders he had shown them. The root of their idolatry was forgetfulness. It was forgetting. It was forgetting what the Lord had done for them. And that allowed the enemy to use other things to fill their eyes, to um, attract them with things of the world. And we as Christians can be stagnant in our walk and prone to the very same thing, forgetting. 2 Peter 1, verse 9 says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And this part of the verse, lacking these things, in the scriptures before it, it's talking about actual characteristics of growing in the faith. But he's talking about people can forget that they are cleansed from their sins. and, and, And... You know, if we are honest with ourselves, I can go through two or three days with forgetting what what my brother Trevor talked about in praying before I came up was that we are cleansed and that we are freed from our sin. We can forget Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Spurgeon said that sweet is liberty to the captive, and when the sun makes you free, you're free indeed. Sweet is pardon to the condemned and proclaims full forgiveness and salvation. Sweet is the health to the sick, and Jesus is the great physician of souls. Sweet is light to those who are in darkness and to eyes that are dim, and Jesus is both sun to our darkness and eyes to our blindness. The simple, this one simple portion of scripture is a reminder to never become complacent in our walk. Never become complacent with the word and spending that sweet time with the Lord. Never taking our salvation for granted. Never forgetting the works he has done, the promises that he has given us. He is forever with us and we always have a reason to rejoice in him. We have to be on guard to protect ourselves from seeing the, the worldly honeycomb and being filled with that instead of the Lord, if that makes sense. So the next section we're going to be talking about is counseling against. So throughout Scripture, the counsel of the Lord is beautiful. 
it's, it's amazing when you read and you just realize that there are, are, are things God desires to put up. And it's not like he's putting up fences or anything like that. But it's a beautiful thing that he does for us. God desires to warn us about specific ways of thinking, specific things we're doing, acting, specific ways of not believing. 1 Peter 5.8, you guys are familiar with this, but it tells us to be vigilant and sober-minded because the devil walks around seeking whom he can devour. And that is in any way. And the counsel of the Lord is very good about warning us. One constant and steady way Satan devours people is through pride and pridefulness. One main verse in Proverbs 27 that counsels us against this and putting ourselves on the throne is verse 2 simply. Verse 2 says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And this is, this is really a warning about uh, self-promotion of, of any form. Um, honor means more when it comes from an outside source than when it really comes from the person who did it in the first place. I mean, truthfully, let's, let's, let's be honest. When we hear somebody gloating over themselves, what do our ears, what's the first thing our ears do? Our ears literally turn off, right? And this isn't, don't get me, don't get confused. This isn't someone being excited about what they just did or, or something they're excited about finally accomplishing and you're a friend and they're, they're telling you about it. That's not self-promoting. That's not gloating. They're just happy to tell somebody and you're a friend. This is someone who is literally all about themselves, right? That's what this is discussing. You know, it, it's a stark warning against the pridefulness of self. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or counsel, or I'm sorry, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You're going to hear a lot of Spurgeon because I really like him. Spurgeon said, Pride takes a thousand forms and hides itself under numberless disguises. Many talk of lowliness, but humility still remains among the rarest of jewels. Many take pride in what they call having no pride about them. <laughs> I'll leave that word, Liz. I mean, I'm, we all know people like that. I mean, we'll just say that. But it's, it's literally gotten harder and harder for um, that to take place because of the emphasis that social media in our lives has placed simply on that, you know what, you have got to promote yourself. You have got to... Get out there. And this isn't about posting pictures about a place you traveled and sharing with family and friends because that's how a lot of families communicate now. This has nothing to do with that. You put a selfie up there, this isn't what this is talking about. What we see in our culture and society now is that you have to promote yourself as better than that person. And there's a big difference, right? Sharing something because you're happy about it and you want to share with your friends or, look at me because I'm better than you. That's a problem. And, and I've fallen victim to it too. And, and that's a spirit we have to be constant guard against. It's invasive. And it's hard to see. It doesn't announce itself, but it creeps in. You know, in this society nowadays, we want, and our flesh, and I say we, um, our flesh wants so badly to be praised, we want so badly to be noticed, that we are willing to kickstart it ourselves. And most, most, most of the younger generation don't know what kickstarting is. I mean, most of us older folks do, where you get on a motorcycle and you have to, to kickstart it, right? No, no push button, you know, it wasn't easy. But it, it drives people to kickstart their own promotion of themselves. And, and the Lord here is reminding us to take our eyes off of ourselves, And that's where, let another person praise you. You don't need to do that yourself, right? Go lower. God's love and, and, you know, you look at this topic, God's love and redemption of us, the amazing work of saving us, writing our names, our names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Sometimes I stop and I think about that. I don't truly understand how big that is. And people lose sight of that. But all of these things I've just said, those things alone should be enough for me. Why do I need another man's praise? Why? I have all of that. I am literally saved 
by the blood of Jesus Christ, yet I want somebody else, some Joe I don't know, to say something good about me. I, I tr- that It's just flesh. It's just flesh. And I, there's no other explanation, but it's the way the enemy uses to get at us. Matthew 20, 28. I don't know why I keep changing this. No, you can read it, but I'm doing it anyways. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Such an example. If Jesus did it, I think I don't need praise and I should go lower. Psalm 34, 10 says, The young lion... The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. If it's good for you and the Lord desires it for you, he will bring it to pass. God's enough. Alan Redpath said, The uh, the Bible never, never flatters its heroes. (laughs) And you know what? You, you, th- you think you know that, but until you read it, you're like, wow. He's absolutely right. The Bible never flatters its heroes. And if the Bible doesn't flatter its heroes, why am I seeking flattery? Why are we seeking flattery? And the simple answer is it's, it's our flesh. Our flesh wants it. Our flesh just desires it. But this verse counsels against it. This is an example of God's counseling against certain things in our life. And it's for a purpose. Um, I'm going to read this because, you know, if I, if I came up with it, you may not like me. But I didn't. Spurgeon did. Spurgeon said, when a man admires himself, he never adores God. So this is like a, uh, this is a gut punch. Because it says, you know, and he's right. If, if a person admires themselves, they have elevated and put themselves on the throne of their heart. So if they are on the throne of their heart, how can they adore God? There's no room left for them. And, and, and it's, you know, Satan is seeking whom he can devour in any way, shape, or form he can. And if he does that by simply just taking God off the throne of your heart, he's done it. Because anything else will take its place. Anything else will take his place. Psalm 23 starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay. That's hard to live by. And it's a stark reminder. But it's true. Again, I've never contemplated the depth of my name being in a book I've never seen. But that will be open to and flipped and read. And it's beautiful. And that's all I need. I'm going, to try and, I'm going to try and say it to myself next time. I'm like, I, I kind of want some, some praise. But this verse is God's counsel for us against seeking out praise from others. All right. So that's that section. But because you got to have the other side of the coin. There's counsel against. There's also counsel for. And, and the reason you would think I should do for before against, but it doesn't really matter. There's no technique to this. There's another coin to this because we are the bride of Christ. And there's reasons God has a counsel for things we shouldn't do and things we should do. Because he wants his church, his bride, to be healthy. There are ways in which to walk, ways in which to talk, ways in which to act, ways in which to think and, 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 and believe that he wants us to be strengthened in. And it's a beautiful thing for that to happen. He wants to strengthen us and that he, he wants us to love. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking in this portion of Scripture. And frankly, this is a portion of Scripture that some people just frankly don't like. You know, we've been counseled and God's counsel teaches us to show love, show grace, build up, help, to give, to lay down. But you know what we're also counseled to do? Test, to search out, to be discerners of truth, and to correct. Those are also things we are counseled to do. Verse 5 and 6, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And this is a, uh, two verses I don't think many pay attention to or, or take the time 
to really um, pray about and, and see what the Lord has in this. Uh, because I know I've read this a lot of times and just right over it. Um, many are hesitant to openly rebuke someone. And especially rebuke someone uh, in the family of God. It is not something you see very often anymore. People are way more apt to rebuke someone for something that literally has no eternal value. I have so many examples of my neighborhood Facebook site of people openly rebuking people for like the way their lawn looks or what their dog did or you know, no eternal value whatsoever. Really funny to read, but has no eternal value. And I'll see that honestly more than I see any type of rebuking. When it comes to eternity, it's almost like rebuking stops, even though we are told right here, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And, and, and I think it tends to happen because what people associate with a rebuke. Uh, before I was even a believer and I heard the word rebuke, it has a, just a bad, it has a bad connotation to it, the word. And I don't know why, because before I even was a Christian, I heard the word rebuke, I didn't know what a rebuke was. Never seen one. But you know what? Sounds bad. Therefore, it's bad. That's not the case, right? But unfortunately, people have the idea that a rebuke has to be harsh, that it has to be rude, and that it has to be without compassion. And I don't know why. It, but it's, they, they, you know, many think you either have to do it that way or you, don't, or you don't do it at all. And that's absolutely not the case. That is not the case. There is, there is no scripture saying when you rebuke someone, I want you to use a stern voice. I want you to poke them in the chest. And, ever. Right? Those are not the only two options. A rebuke does not have to be harsh. Uh, it doesn't have to be rude. It doesn't have to be lifeless. You know, let's, let's remember the scripture that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I'm thinking everyone in here has probably been rebuked by the Lord. Did he poke his finger in your chest? Did he use harsh language with you? No, when we've been rebuked by the Lord, it was beautiful. He waited for us to understand what was taking place. His Holy Spirit spoke to our heart. And if we were humble, we realized what he was telling us. We asked for forgiveness. He said, absolutely. Go and don't do it anymore, right? And it was great. But wh why can't we apply that to when it comes to other brothers and sisters? And that's what this, this verse, th these two verses is really talking about. You know, I, I, we all can remember a time when we rebuked, right? I've, I can recall easily a time when I've been rebuked, and I'll tell you what, yeah, it was hard to receive. Why? Because of my pride. Not, no, nobody likes to be told you're doing something wrong. You know, no one likes to be told, yeah, come here, let, let's, let's have a corner chat, right? Let's go for a walk. No one likes that. And it's our pride because we like to think that we're doing things right. And we like to think that, that, that we don't have error or we don't err. But when the rebuke is done right, I actually praise the Lord for it because I had no idea what I was doing wrong. And oftentimes that is the case. And so rebuking is a two-sided coin. There's a giver and a receiver. And we'll get into that. But I'll tell you, in a rebuke, and, and why I'm spending a little bit of time in this is because it's rarely done nowadays. And we'll get to that too. But when a, rebu when a, re a rebuke is done in love, it's not a finger in the chest, but it's conducted fully knowing that it's the Holy Spirit that's actually going to do the work on the other end. You know, I'll, again, People think that when you, do, when you conduct a rebuke in love, you, you have to like lay everything out from A to Z. You've got to recount every single time this person has done X. You've got to do this, that. No, 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 that, that's, not what, uh, that's not what this is talking about. You just simply call one thing out in love, show them, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. It's not your job to give them a 1,000-page a, a essay on, on why you're approaching them. The work is done by the Holy Spirit, not by your words or length of words, right? It's usually just scripture. 
Scripture says this, or, or the Lord has shown me this, pray about it. The Lord will do his work in the Holy Spirit. God has repeatedly rebuked many that he loves. We have proof. We have proof that it can be done right. We have proof that it turns people back to him. Right? Love carefully concealed does nothing to change a person. Nothing. Why? Because you're not saying anything. They don't know they're in error. But God has repeatedly rebuked people that he loves in order to wake them up, wake them from their slumber, and have them turn from their direction. Love David. Love David. He's a, uh, an example a lot in our house on, on so many different things. I mean, you, you, go through, you go through Psalms, and like, you can cover everything under the sun, right? David got openly rebuked for finding a way to kill Uriah. Openly rebuked. And there were two ways he could receive it. What did he do? Humbled himself. He sought the Lord. Asked for forgiveness. And what happened? He was turned back to the Lord. Restored. Right? Beautiful picture of that. Now, yes, can a rebuke have to come across harsher than just a simple word? Yeah. Because sometimes some people need wake-up calls. I know I often don't hear things well from the Lord. And sometimes my, my rebukes are harsher than they need to be, right? Because I need a wake-up call. Or it's paramount at that specific time, right? There's no time for you to think about it. So I just, just want to throw that in there. That can happen too. So I, I really wish I'd use larger font for this one because I'm going to leave this up here for a second. So if you are, are teetering on the fence, Dietrich Bonhoeffer nails it. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. I've never heard it put this way, but it makes a whole lot of sense when you, when you read this scripture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says Nothing can be more cruel than, what does the scripture say? Love carefully concealed. That's what he's saying. Nothing can be more cruel when it's not addressed. Yet, it's actually compassion. It shows love when you actually approach a brother or sister and bring them back from the path of sin. And it's never okay to ignore when the Lord brings something to your attention through his spirit but there is a time and a place, there's a proper time and a place that a rebuke should take place. You know, love does little good when it's not known. The honest, and I'll, and I'll say this, the honest love of an open rebuke is always better than sitting in silence. And just like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to love them. Always better. Loving someone in silence. And, and, and you know, when the Lord has, has really... Um, given you by his spirit someone needs to be rebuked um, loving someone in silence instead of conducting the rebuke of the Lord is putting the importance of feelings and emotion over the calling of God and I'm just going to say that that's why a lot we don't see that anymore in the church because they are putting emotion and feelings over what God is calling them to do. And, and the problem with that is we are not to be given to emotion. We are to follow the Lord and his counsel, not care about how someone's going to feel or they're going to hurt their feelings. You know, it's one of those questions we have to ask ourselves. Would we rather have somebody not have hurt feelings and continue marching right down the path? And the answer is no. Like, I... I, I you know, many of us have to deal with this in, in families. And, and it's, <laughs> my next section, it's, it, dude, it's hard. This section, I'm not paying a lip service. I, I get it. It's not easy. There's a time and a place, and only the Lord can open that time and that place up, and, and it has to be the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And loving correction can really cause wounds. That second part of this, uh, this verse, faithful are the wounds of a friend, because most of us don't consider and think of a friend as, a friend shouldn't wound me. Uh, it's because we got a different 
perception of what a friend really should be. You know, a real true friend, yeah, absolutely. I'd rather be wounded and scarred by them and saved from whatever I was doing, right? It, you know, it can wound, may not even feel good, but it is a true expression of love. Whether that person knows it or not, we have scripture to prove that it is. We should care so much about each other's walk and, and, and just eternal standing, right? We should, so we should care so much about that that we're willing to do the hard thing. You know, you've heard that term, do the hard thing. <laughs> this is hard. Like, this is uncomfortable. And because you have a giver and you have a receiver, and neither end is fun. Like, neither end has the easy stick. It's hard to receive. I've had it. I've had to receive it. But I will tell you, it is even harder to give. It is very, very hard to give. Um, to the point of being painstaking to give a, a rebuke. And it's something that you have to seek the Lord over and over and co confirm it through his word, confirm it with his spirit, because it's not something you want to get wrong. And frankly, oftentimes, you just, you just don't want to do it. I, I, I hate doing it. But I know what the outcome is. And it's good, because if the Lord says do it, there's a reason for it. But neither end is easy. So th these verses 5 and 6, look, they're not easy, neither one. But they are biblical. There is a reason he says that. Rebuking is a biblical thing to do. Hard, but not easy. I will say, though, it's better to, to have that discussion, re allow the Lord to use you for a rebuke, for that correction, because he'll grow you in it, but it's really for that other person, rather than just be silent and allowing them to continue to walk in their sin, which is not love at all. So that's... That's the scripture for counseling four. All right, let's move in to the next section. Yeah, you can read that one. The next section and, and final section really is, is counseling in diligence. You know, throughout scripture, we're, we're counseled to be diligent. God does not want us to be flippant with uh, what he has given us. Uh, the provision he's given us. He doesn't want a, us to be flipping with over and over in Scripture, and he gives us wise counsel to acknowledge what he's given us, that he is the giver, uh, be thankful for it, and be wise with it. It's mentioned five times specifically in Hebrews. So the verse we're looking at is Proverbs 23, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. So stop right there. I, 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 I know none of you guys have flocks I pretty much know all of you. Now, I've been surprised, so maybe you do. Maybe you picked one up. And Solomon wrote this, honestly, from an agricultural mindset, right? People would understand what that meant. Because what is a flock if you have that? That's your livelihood. Everything depends on that, right? But he's using this imagery that people would understand, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Lord wants us to be diligent in everything we do and in all that he has given us, much like um, Boaz and Ruth in the fields that he gave to her to be diligent in. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, I love. It's actually, uh, I, didn't, I don't, it's not going to be up on screen, but it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Why are we given the example of an ant and called a sluggard, right? Because the ant is diligent, never stops, doesn't take a rest, Never says, you know what? I've got enough in my storehouse. I'm going to kick back and have the easy life. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. 
These go together because, you know, the definition of diligent is to be careful, but also persistent work or effort. You know, in Matthew um, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, we, we, we know this well, but it's the, the parable of the talents. And, and, and we know it. You know, the master is going away, and he's got three servants, and he gives each servant different talents. And by the way, in this parable, a talent isn't, isn't a coin. It's a measure or a weight according to their ability. Right? So he gives these three servants different talents, different measurements. And what are the first two? We all know the first two actually move out. Uh, they, they're prompt in moving out. They're persistent. Uh, they have success. And they were ready to give an account for what they were given. Right? right off the bat when the master returns. The third servant, however, was not like that. Didn't do anything with the measurement of what he was given. Remember in this scripture, we're talking about uh, be mindful of, of your, the flock, right? But the third did nothing with what he was given, did nothing positive with it. And what do we see when the master comes back? He talks to the first and the second servant, well done, good and faithful. We talk about it often. Faithful servant. Not, you, you know, you were exponential. You know, you made the bar. Faithful. You were faithful and diligent with what you were given and what I asked you to do. That's what the first and the second are told. Spurgeon here says, It is better to be faithful in the infant school than to be unfaithful in a noble class of young men. It's better to be faithful in a hamlet. I, who uses hamlet? Better to be faithful in a hamlet over two or three score of people than to be unfaithful in a great city parish with thousands perishing in consequence. Better to be faithful in a cottage meeting, speaking of Christ crucified to half a hundred villagers, than to be unfaithful in a great building where thousands congregate. See, it doesn't matter what God has given you or the amount he has given you. You need, we need to be faithful with all he has given us. So Spurgeon is getting at here. It's better to be faithful. If God, if God has only given you a little bit, be faithful with it. Be diligent with what he's given you. Don't wait for a management position and then be diligent with that, Right? Be faithful in whatever he has given you, regardless of weight, regardless of measurement. So what we can say about this third servant, he didn't think, definitely didn't work, didn't even try. All he did was make excuses. So I promised last quote from Spurgeon. Remember, my hearer, that in the day of judgment, thy account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. He will ask you what you did yourself. This is a personal account. And, and, and so this, this scripture, this last portion of scripture in Proverbs 27 and, and the scriptures beneath it are a personal account. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herd. So the Lord places a very strong emphasis on being diligent in knowing the state of our flocks. Whatever, whatever that is, and wherever that is, whether it's in work, if it's in school, maybe it's in ministry, we have to be diligent in knowing the state of that flock, whatever the provision has given us. The other part of that is to attend to them. You, you can't just know about it. You have to attend which is really what, what the servants did with their talents. They attended to it. They walked it out. They actually had actionable things that they did with it. And, and that translates into us taking care of whatever God has given us. In the context, again, whether it's what he's given us at home, are we diligent there? At work, are we being diligent? Are we working unto him in whatever case that is? What about our ministry have we become stagnant in our ministries? Has it become a, a, a wheel? Is it just something we do? No, we got to be diligent. We're working under the Lord. This is something he's given us. 
Let us be counted worthy. Let us be counted faithful in what he's given us to do. Just remember, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from him. The provision is from him. And we've got to be diligent with whatever he's given us. Uh, And so those are the verses the Lord wanted me to cover this evening. So coming to a close, the scripture in Proverbs 27 is, is really for us to put into practice. It's for our good to abstain and avoid practices of the world. I know we know that, but it's good to say that. Abstain from the practices of the world. He he counsels against he counsels us against certain things. It's for our growth and our good to actually apply and put into practice the things he's counseling us for. Right? We are the bride of Christ. He's preparing us. He's preparing us. If we know we have that mindset when we read scripture, when he's telling us to do something, okay, it's my marching orders. I'll do it. He's also counseling us to not become complacent. Don't become complacent. Don't be so filled with whatever the world has that we forget to spend time with him and really give him the honorable area and throne of our heart. Right? If we've started to let that happen, snap out of it. Put him back on the throne. You don't need, you know, you don't need the honeycomb. Don't need it. Just have the Lord get the let the let the honeycomb of the word satisfy your soul, right? But he's counseling us to not become complacent. And then again at the very end, to be diligent with what he's given us. So with that, let's uh, let's close in prayer for the evening. You know, Father, your word is so rich, and, and I pray you forgive me for the times I read it, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and I forget to apply it in my life. It's so beautiful. Help me to slow down to read your word. Help me to meditate on each scripture and, and, and see what your Holy Spirit has for me, Father. And I pray that for each of us. In your word tonight, Father, let us walk out these doors and put it into practice, Father, remembering that you desire the throne of our heart. Whatever the world is, is uh, we've allowed the world to come in. And, 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 you know, Lord, if we've allowed Satan to put something in your place, rebuke us. We will willingly accept it because we want to be righted. We want to be restored. Father, we love you. Your, your word is sweet to the soul. It really is. We can't ever get enough. Let our, let our hearts never be too filled with your word. Father, I pray that we would honor you in all we do as we leave here tonight. Let the uh, words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be beautiful and pleasing in your sight. God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us as a body. Thank you for this church. We, we're not persecuted. We can lift our voices. And we thank, thank you for Calvary Chapel Richmond. Thank you for your word and that, that you are important. You, you are more important than, than any kind of event we've got. doesn't matter. Thank you for the prayer and and just the emphasis on it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. We love you. And as we leave her tonight, God, pray for your Holy Spirit to be poured out on each one of us. Strengthen us and embolden us in those areas where we lack it. God, we desire to do your will. So when your Holy Spirit speaks to us about something you want us to say to someone, let us not cower. Let us not be worried but have confidence in that it's you who are doing the work. So, Father, thank you for tonight. I pray your hand of protection upon each one as they leave here, and uh, just bless the fellowship afterwards. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for calling. Thanks for coming. God bless you guys tonight.